Today on CityCast DC. When the Whittle School first opened, parents thought they were getting in on the ground floor of a revolution right there on Connecticut Avenue. It was the first American outpost of what was supposed to be this ambitious global network of schools. That was then. It's been three years of multiple lawsuits, shrinking enrollment, and general sketchiness. Then this summer, the campus abruptly shut down. So now parents and students are scrambling to find new schools for the fall, and teachers are waiting for paychecks. I talked to the Washington Business Journal's Hannah Denham. She's been covering the school since its inception, and she's going to walk us through just how this global idea got to this point. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. So the people who enrolled their kids at the Whittle School on Connecticut Avenue, this school is half in China, half in the United States. Your child will be able to spend a semester in China. And then all of a sudden, about halfway through the summer, they learn they don't got a place to go to school next year. Will you explain what's happening with these folks? So for the parents and students who are still there at the end of the school year, um, which I understand was around 130 students, they're, of course, stressed and frustrated. This past school year in particular has been marked by a lot of financial issues. And so I think parents knew of the uncertainty, but we're still holding on to hope, at least for those who had still, you know, planned to enroll their students in the upcoming academic year. But for the first week or two after the closure, I think folks were just really scrambling um, to find new schools for their students. There are some waiting lists at local private schools, but the admissions process for a lot of them, it's a bit late. So folks have been scrambling there as well as to get their transcripts for students from the school, because with shutting it down, that means they also shut down the admissions office. So they had a hard time getting transcripts for at least two weeks. So, I mean, I think I would say that the feeling now is hectic and chaotic and frustrated. So let's back up. I remember being in Maza Gallery a few years ago, and they had a storefront taken out, which was like the most gorgeous storefront you've ever seen. And they had these brochures that were like on the heaviest paper stock I've ever seen. And it was supposed to be like a thousand students. It's world-class campus of a global educational experiment. Um, can you just sort of walk us through this? What was it supposed to be? What did it promise? And then what happened? I think Chris Whittle's vision, his plan was to start a global network of independent private um, for-profit schools. And the goal was a focus on an international education, but also independent education, meaning that teachers were designing their own curriculum and students were learning through project-based experiential learning. There was a plan for 30 schools enrolling between 1,000 and 2,000 students to be set up across the world um, in the next 10 years or so. And so I think three years after the first campus, first two campuses has opened, it's clear that that has not come to fruition. But from the beginning, it was ambitious. So the first campus was in China, and then the second one was the one in Van Ness in, in D.C. Who is Chris Whittle? What's his deal? Um, he is an education entrepreneur. He has decades of experience working with investors on big startups. The past three companies he's worked on, including the Whittle School and Studios, has been around starting independent schools globally. So this was his third attempt at a very similar vision and idea. Wait, have either of the first two like 
succeeded? He first founded the Edison schools in the late 90s. And I will say, I honestly don't know where things ended up with them, but he did not continue with Edison schools. He then founded Avenue Schools, which is successful. They have several schools across the nation, I think about four campuses at this point. But that also was a plan to found closer to 30 global schools. And he eventually left and was sued by some of the founders. Um, And so right as he was leaving, he started the ideas for the Whittle School and Studios. Before that, he founded Whittle Communications. He bought Esquire magazine and worked on drumming that up as well. So he has decades of experience in the private sector and education and communications. So you're reporting. I mean, it chronicles someone who looks like something less than a than a brilliant captain of industry. I mean, you've got stories about teachers having to put stuff on their own credit cards, about payroll not getting met, about money abruptly disappearing, people feeling stiffed. What led to the downfall? What happened? From Chris Whittle's perspective, he blames it entirely on the pandemic and just on the startup life. That's been his mantra for more than two years now since the start of the pandemic, when funding didn't come through, when mergers didn't happen, when teachers were late getting paid or weren't paid. And then up to when the school closed, his reasoning was the pandemic. Um, But what I found in my reporting is that the timeline predates COVID. Something went wrong with the financing and the school couldn't sustain itself. What I know is where it wasn't spent. You know, it wasn't spent on paying teachers on time, on school supplies, on the vendors or contractors who worked on the school and have sued the school for millions on millions of alleged unpaid work. It wasn't spent on rent, according to the landlord. But what I don't know yet is where it went instead. Um, I do know that teachers and staff were hired at really high salaries. And so that's some of where the, the funding has gone. But it's just been sort of evident in the past year that that the funding has run out. I gotcha. So there was a lot of conspiracy kind of talk at the beginning of this is the Chinese government is going to have a lot of influence here and so on. That was a sort of international relations factor at all part of this precipitous decline? Yeah, there's absolutely the international relations factor in terms of China-US relations. We're not great around the time that Chris was making a foray into Shenzhen for the first campus. He told me that despite its relative success, the campus in Shenzhen enrolls nearly 1,000 students, nearly all tuition paying. The school has been impacted by um, a shifting landscape as well in Chinese governmental policy toward education, particularly for foreign groups who are coming in and looking to set up schools like the Whittle School and Studios. And it's limited how much influence his company has um, in making decisions about the campus on the grounds of it, he's told me. I mean, the company initially invested $80 million into the campus in Shenzhen, and the Chinese government decided to keep that in exchange for the Whittle School being able to even collect tuition from students who are enrolled. But of course, there's no doubt COVID took a big hit. Like you mentioned, the financial model of boarding students, in-person extracurricular activities that were supposed to happen, all of that was paused. Investors also were not as willing to spend money during a really uncertain time. So there are definitely a lot of external factors that did contribute to the situation now. And at the beginning, they were touting, you know, big hires that they swiped away from more prestigious schools and paying administrators really well by private school standards. So the idea was we're new, but we're like, we're in this for the long term. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, teachers were hired away from Sidwell friends, from 
Moray School and others, also teachers were had previously been working in China, in Lithuania, in the Netherlands, and moved their lives to the United States and had been immersed in international education. The average salary around for teachers was about ninety thousand, and for administrators, it could reach up to two hundred thousand and more. From what former folks who worked there told me, so um, absolutely, salaries were high. So you write about how it was built for a thousand kids, but it never got to that number. And in fact, it's been going down every year. Yeah. So it opened, the DC campus opened in the fall of 2019. They enrolled around 180 students. The next year, it was closer to 160. And then this past year, it was fewer than 130 is the number that I got from the school's leadership. So clearly what's happening is no surprise to the parents. They see the direction things are going. Yes, absolutely. I've talked with a lot of former Whittle school parents who pulled their kids sometimes in the middle of the school year over the past three years because they were either not happy with the level of education that their children were receiving or they were tired of the uncertainty around the financing and they wanted their students, their children to be in more more well-established schools without threat of financing falling through month to month. So there's this like scramble for the exit. What were some of the education side problems? The biggest issue there, from what I've been told by both parents and former teachers, is the teacher turnover rate. You know, teachers were leaving every year, also sometimes in the middle of the school year. There was, during the second academic year, the head of school who was in charge of, you know, the whole D.C. campus left the day before the school year started. There was so much turnover. And, you know, of course, folks had said they had different reasons for leaving. But in a lot of cases, for what folks told me is they were tired of being paid late, and it felt unethical to continue working at the school. And so that just created a vacuum where teachers who were left were teaching multiple classes, they were leading after school programs as well, while being paid late without being paid extra for all of additional responsibilities. And it just created a strain on the teaching. This feels like a cautionary tale about hubris or something. (laughs) He was going to change the world. (laughs) These teachers who moved here to be part of it, they uprooted their lives. They quit jobs at much more stable places. What are they doing now? For folks who I talked to, everyone who at least has left, not as recently, who left before the closure, particularly last year and the year before, they found other jobs teaching in the private school world and the independent school world. Some of them moved back to their communities where they had left for the Whittle School and found jobs. Others left education and moved into starting their own companies and moved into a different sector. So folks have found work. But as for the roughly 40 teachers and staff who were laid off a few weeks ago, many are still finding jobs. Many are still looking and they're filing for unemployment. Have they been fully paid? No, they have not been paid. They're missing three paychecks this time. So what was the company's and the entrepreneur's reaction to your reporting? As for the closure itself, Chris Whittle has only acknowledged that the school closed to myself at the Business Journal and the Washington Post. There hasn't been any acknowledgement from the company or the school on its website, on its social media about the closure. So the parents of the kids learned from you. They didn't even get a letter from the principal saying, don't come to school. They did get a letter from Chris Whittle. So he sent an email to families and to teachers. But as for the public, the school's website still has an active link for applying for the next year for school. As for the public, there has not been any sort of announcement. But I mean, before this, in terms of my reporting, I've been covering the Whittle School since last September. I've been talking with Chris Whittle since then. And so I've written about all the lawsuits, at least locally pending against the company. I've written about its landlord issues, teacher experiences. The school hasn't said much, um, but Chris Whittle 
often will respond um, when I do ask some questions, particularly about next plans. So when you talk to him, is he like a man who gives evidence that he knows that there's a crisis going on? He does not. His messaging was always, money is coming. We are securing a bridge financing as we speak. But he did not share any proof of that or evidence of that. And he said that he was not at liberty to. But that is something that teachers and staff told me they were always hearing from him as well, that money was on the way and that once the money came, he would pay back all the contractors and vendors who had sued. He would pay back the teachers, the families who had invested money in the school to keep it running. Um, But as for right now, we have not seen that money yet. So you said there's a bunch of lawsuits out there. What are some of them? One big one is a lawsuit by the landlords of the 4000 Connecticut Avenue building. These are two New York real estate companies who own the building itself. They've sued the Whittle School in June to evict them. Other lawsuits have been from contractors and vendors who did either construction work on the school as well as the other planned campuses or provided social media services, furniture, and food services to the schools. I've totaled close to 20 contractors and vendors have sued the school, alleging that they are owed money. Is there any chance they're going to get paid? So in a couple of the cases, the judges have awarded the judgment to the contractors and vendors. And in some of those documents, you know, Wells Fargo bank accounts linked to the Whittle School and Studios are garnished, but in some cases there's no money, as in it lists zero dollars, or there's just a couple thousand that is garnished, but that's obviously not the full total of what is allegedly owed. So in some cases, I think the contractors are still waiting, which is kind of the issue with teachers deciding what to do now about the paychecks they're owed, is because they're so far down the line in terms of the lawsuits asking for their owed money that they're worried that it might not be worth it. That building, for folks who maybe can't picture it, it's right by the Van Ness Metro. It's all mirrored. It looks a little bit like a space station. Um, What's going to happen to it? Do we know? We don't know yet. The landlord has been harder to reach recently because of the lawsuit. But in May, he told me that he was considering bringing in other tenants, including education groups, businesses. But I don't know the status of those talks yet. And then globally, is this Whittle School brand shot or is it going to, are they going to have 29 other schools, like they said? That would require definitely a lot more financing. And a big question is after the DC school closure, will investors still be willing to front the money for that? And so the only other Whittle School campus that's active right now is, is the one in Shenzhen. It's unclear if this closure will impact operations there. There's also a new campus in Suzhou that was supposed to open this fall. Chris hasn't answered me about what will happen there. Um, And then there's an abandoned campus in Brooklyn that fell through. So it's unclear what his plans are next, what will happen to the other campuses. But it would be interesting to see all of this follow through and for him to gain the financing after a big hit like this. But you're not personally rushing to deposit your Washington Business Journal paycheck into his account in the name of investment. (laughs) I would not do so anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's against the rules. Hannah, thank you so much for being here. You have really kind of nailed this story and done so in a really big, ambitious way. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. And now for some quick news. I'm here with Priyanka, our team lead. Priyanka, what's going on? Starting off with some sad summer news. 
Assateague Island's North Beach is closed. The National Park Service says it found seven pieces of military munitions debris there, remnants of when the beach was a testing ground for the Navy in the 1940s. NPS says it's found mostly metal fragments this summer, but most of them might have residue on them from explosives, and that means they have to still be considered dangerous. Other parts of the island's beach are still open. Meanwhile, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine is trying to block Casa Ruby from accessing its bank accounts. You might remember Casa Ruby as the Youth LGBT Plus Center that closed down last month because of a bunch of financial issues. Racine says Casa Ruby's founder, Ruby Corrado, seems to have fled the country and withdrew tens of thousands of dollars of nonprofit funds. And his office intends to investigate the, quote, full extent of the misuse of funds. On a more positive note, D.C. residents can now get free COVID treatment online. That's because of a new partnership between DC Health and this telemedicine company called Color Health. It seems to be a pretty easy process. You request an appointment and fill out a short questionnaire. And if you're eligible, a healthcare provider will get in touch in less than a half an hour to see if you need a prescription. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. I'm Michael Schaefer from Politico. I want to thank those of you who have subscribed to our show and sent in feedback. We've been blown away by the support. And if you haven't, uh, shame on you. Kidding. But subscribe now and check out our morning newsletter too. We'll be back on Thursday with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.